this summer. Your local movie theater will become a tent revival for proclaiming Jesus. And you're invited to be a part of this unique evangelistic campaign. Join with Believers Nationwide for the Million Souls Campaign to bring unsaved family and friends to watch the powerful new movie, The Firing Squad, starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. The Firing Squad tells the incredible true story about prisoners who find faith in the face of execution and transform their prison in the process. As the movie ends, co-star Kevin Sorbo comes on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ, providing an on-site opportunity to introduce family and friends to the message of Jesus. Go to FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how you can receive free tickets and more to the Firing Squad and participate in this unique theater event. Bring your friends and your family and bring your faith. That's FiringSquadFilm.com to learn more. Stu, I know you're practically at the Super Bowl in your head right now. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of that going on. I'm, str- uh, you know, I'm struggling to care about the State of the Union tonight. So now, uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, that's I'm, I'm really trying hard. Yeah, that's unusual. Well, good thing is, we're not really going to be talking about the State of the Union tonight. Uh, live Blaze uh, uh, coverage of that. We're, we're going to be roasting mm-hmm. the president and all the clowns. We want to make fun of them because that's the only way to make this watchable. Yeah. So blazetv.com slash SOTU. If you use the code SOTU, now, you will save 20 bucks. Now, it is your birthday, I think on Thursday. Thursday, mm-hmm. Thursday yeah. Mm-hmm. It's your birthday. Yep. And you said for your birthday, you want... The Eagles to win the Super yeah. Bowl? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's on Thursday. My birthday is Friday. Right. And, and I want the 49ers. Really? Uh, not 49ers. Wow, because that would be uh, fascinating. Sorry, it would be two NFC teams in there. They're both wearing red. Lost They're in the both playoffs. wearing their red costumes. Okay? That's true. So. They are. <laughs> They're adorable red costumes. Yeah, they- <laughs> <laughs> and I want I want the Chiefs, so we're mm-hmm. going to have to see who God loves more. <laughs> well, it's unfair because I can make my birthday wish, and then you can, pre- you can preempt it with another birthday wish. Yes. Um, yes. That would uh, yes. preempt the Super Bowl uh, yeah. after mine. So, so that's not that fair. That sucks for you. Yeah. Sucks for you. <laughs> I'll load up on the Chiefs, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so we'll have all of this really good Super Bowl talk coming later <laughs> this week. Yeah. My in-depth analysis, oh, but not no. today. Not today. Not today. Um, we start with um, uh, Shakespeare and uh, and also uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. What would they have written had they been, you know, writing for the New York Times or a conservative talk show? What would they write today? And there's a reason we start there. Um, and uh, and the show goes really pretty much downhill from the bar. It really does. Quickly. Really. If there was one show you had to skip, it would probably be Stu's podcast, not this way. Wait, why would you? Uh, so uh, we begin. Wait, we actually are skipping. We're getting preempted for this special tonight. So they are. You, I have no new episode coming out today. Special. Oh, okay. So you maybe just watch your segment. And then go home. Call okay, it a that's day. That's fine. It's not going to get any better. <laughs> anyway, uh, today's podcast is really, really good, full of a lot of great stuff. Um, uh, news of the day uh, and the future of the Republican Party, all on today's podcast. All right, when you're going about your daily life, you're living with pain. It's like walking uphill with a backpack full of rocks, right? And then somebody stabbing you all the way. Oh, it's fun. It is fun. I know the feeling. I've lived with severe pain in my life. Never found a way for several years to stop the stabbing 
or put down the backpack of rocks or even get away from the hill until relief factor. It is possible to set all that down. It's possible to live your best life again. Please just try Relief Factor. Give it a shot. See what it can do for you. It's not a drug developed by doctors to fight inflammation so you don't feel it in your system at all. And take it as directed. You take the three-week quick start. Take it three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and see in three weeks. Is it affecting you at all? Are you feeling better? Because my life changed with Relief Factor. Try it. Get the three-week quick start now. ReliefFactor.com. ReliefFactor.com. Feel the difference. Uh, 1-800-4-RELIEF. ReliefFactor.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck Program. I'm I'm wondering what we're going to hear from... uh, the president tonight on China, if anything, on the balloon, I doubt. I mean, unless he's like, Trump, Trump, mm. you know, because that, that's a good case. That that's sort of good. insightful analysis yeah, yeah. will be there. Yeah. Now, the president and the Pentagon and everybody else, they, they knew about the balloon. He decided not to tell anybody about the Chinese balloon. Um, because he didn't want it to mess up their global warming conversation that they were going to have last weekend uh, with China. Uh, unfortunately, just a regular citizen looks up and like, what's that? Takes a picture of it, uh, and the Chinese spy balloon is now out in the open. The, the, uh, uh, the picture goes viral everywhere, and the Pentagon has to admit, oh, Uh, that's a spy balloon the guy who did it lives in montana his name is chase doak and he is with us now chase how are you i'm doing all right so uh when you looked up in the sky and you saw the balloon what did you you just thought it was just a regular weather balloon or what did you think i i honestly had no idea what to think um i knew that we had a ground stop in place so there were air airspace restrictions at our airport and outside of my office window i look straight out onto the um the airport i you probably don't know much about the billings airport but we have cliffs here in town you and are our on top of a butte and uh, yeah yeah I, i've been there my my friend the becks All right. are rampant <laughs> in billings anyway go ahead yeah, so I, I just happened to be looking out because I, I wanted to see what was going on. I thought there might be a military exercise or somebody important might be flying in. And it turned out that it was uh, just this thing in the sky, and I had no idea what it was. So um, they had closed the airport or, or restricted the airspace. Was it because of the balloon? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was pretty easy to put two and two together. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Huh. Uh, and so were you surprised when the, when your discovery really I mean, it's this is being compared now to Sputnik. Did you know that? Yeah, that this I, is a I, Sputnik. Heard, moment. Yeah, I, I, I have heard that. Um, I you know, it's it's still pretty surreal for me, but I I didn't know when I was taking the photo that it was going to lead to something like this. Sure. (laughs) Sure. You're like, I bet this will bring down the fires of hell around my head. Have you, uh, have you had any pushback on it? Have you gotten any heat? 
Not really. I mean, Good. for the most part, people who have uh, corresponded with me have been pretty supportive and uh, pretty excited about it, to be honest. So you, you, the, the story that I have read said that you thought at first it might be a UFO or a star or something. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, at best I might get a good shot of a UFO that would end up in a Stephen Greer documentary in a few years. But. <laughs> well, you got a lot more than that. I uh, And you took the picture from your office or your driveway? Um, I I took the initial picture from my office um, and then I, I kind of rushed out to my car because I had my camera in the trunk of my car, but the lens I had was just too short to get anything good. So I actually called the uh, photo editor at the local paper, the Billings Gazette, uh, Larry Mayer is his name, and I worked with him for about 10 years at that paper. And I knew he'd have a big lens, so I had him look up. He's also a pilot, so I thought he might know what it was, mm-hmm. um, but he had no idea either. And then I just rushed home as fast as I could to get my big lens on my camera. Was it was it was it hard to see? No, you could see it with the naked eye, um, and it was still broad daylight. So seeing a bright spot in the sky, and it it was circular. You, it didn't look like a point of light; it looked like a circle. Um, it it was very easy to spot. How did they think they would get away with keeping this quiet? Is it? I have no idea. It was just so brazen. <laughs> so amazing. So amazing. Well, thank you. I just wanted to talk to, you know, just an average Joe that like you changed history. I don't know if you really had to sunk in, but uh, I've made a I've made a uh, a point of trying to call people now that have impacted history uh, in real time and they may not know about it and, and ask them this question. Would you do me a favor and write out in your own words what you saw and everything else in your own handwriting and sign it for me so we can put it in our in our museum and our vault? Yeah, I would absolutely be happy to do that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Chase, keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. You bet. Bye bye. That's kind of cool. That's really, really cool. cool. I think you're just looking up in the sky and you you know, can change. Because, I mean, I guess eventually maybe we would have noticed it. But I don't know. I don't check for the sky for balloons that often. And they seemingly wanted us not to see this. I mean, yeah, they, that was their approach. Their plan was that it would just drift over the country <laughs> and nobody would say anything about it. That is just this. It's incredible. I mean, it shows you what a dream world that our president is living in. Yeah. And by the way, you know, he gave the order on Wednesday to shoot it down, but they didn't shoot it down till Saturday. There's a question. Why? Why would they delay? They kept saying, that? you know, the, it was going over uh-huh. people and they didn't want it to fall on people. But it is a it's kind of a weird explanation. That's uh, really I mean, even the weird. people in Montana were like, there's seven people per mile per square mile yeah. in our state. You can shoot it down wherever you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And usually when the president says, I'll shoot something down, you know, you, you, mm. you shoot it down. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe that's, maybe that's just me. Uh, also, that's about a $10,000 uh, balloon. Mm. Uh, and uh, we used a, a million dollar rocket. Yeah, that was a weird thing too. Why a missile? Like, I, I mean, again, I, I know I'm familiar with balloons, yeah, are you? And typically, when you put really any hole in them, they're yeah. going to come to the ground. Yeah. 
you think really blowing it up into a zillion pieces. It was a cool fireworks show. I but- mean, you could have taken a biplane and just maybe shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> You know what I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it was an average guy who just was standing outside going, what the hell is that? I'm kind of surprised there wasn't another average guy with a plane that just was like, ah, screw it. I'm yeah. going up there. I mean, it was pretty high for a biplane, I would assume. Uh, but I guess the, <laughs> yeah. one of the big. Your head might have popped. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big issues was the international waters. They wanted to get it off the waters or off the land. But Mm -hmm. they only have, what, 12 miles? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they had to knock it down almost immediately. Mm. And I will say, at least they did it during, during the day. It would have, I would have been really annoyed if we had this whole balloon thing and we didn't even get to see it explode. And, and at least we got that out of this. That's the only thing I can say (laughs) on the podcast. At least we got that. They should have filled it with like, you know, either blue or pink dust and made it a gender reveal of some sort. That (gasps) That would have been been cool. Cool. Or a rainbow. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's a story in the New York Times today um, that is, I mean, it is, it's good to know the truth on things, you know, and thank God the New York Times is there. The New York Times uh, is reporting on Joe Biden's prep now for the uh, State of the Union. Uh, I just, I just got to read it verbatim because it's just amazing. As President Biden prepared to deliver one of the biggest speeches of his presidency, He met with a close group of aides at the White House to read drafts aloud from top to bottom. He practiced in front of teleprompters at Camp David, making sure the language was relatable and clear. And in quiet moments ahead of the State of the Union address on Tuesday evening, he marked up his speech with subtle lines and dashes that he has long used to signal, take a breath, pause between words, or steer through a tricky transition. Well, Mr. Biden is the first modern president to have a stutter. Oh my gosh, we can we start? Do we have the Star Spangled Banner? Anything we can play by? He's the first modern president to have a stutter, which he's navigated since childhood and still speaks of in emotional terms. The main ideas in his speech will be true to the themes Mr. Biden has espoused throughout his career, working together, asserting America's leadership in the Mm. world and giving the working and middle classes a leg up. It's a continuation of the bottom up, middle out philosophy that he has honed over his last century, half century in politics. Mm -hmm. Quote, this is truly a guy who's been. Remarkably consistent over a long career, both in the values he brings to the job and the way he articulates those values, says Jeff Nussenbaum, former White House speechwriter. When you're writing for Joe Biden, you're a session musician for a band that has already released 20 albums. And there's a reason behind the consistency. Joe Biden has to say the same thing a thousand times before the world catches up to him <laughs> is that what we're doing we're catching up to joe biden is that- yeah it is it is wow. it is uh preparations for mr biden's state of the union speeches began weeks in advance several aides described the process in which the president demands that sentences be written clearly no what? acronyms yeah what a heroic effort it is no. and he stutters <laughs> 
As he does. And illustrate his legislative accomplishments in terms that real people can understand. He doesn't write them. He demands that they be written that way. In a way that he can actually read them. He spends weeks working on each speech with his writers, reading over and over and over again, top to bottom and out loud. At Camp David last week, the group assisting Mr. Biden in his final preparations were there. Mike Donilon, Bruce Reed, Anita Dunn was there. Vinay Reddy. But Mr. Donilon, Mr. Reed, Mr. Reddy, along with the president, are early engines of the process, according to several White House officials. Early outlines for the speech began in November. Mr. Donilon, 64, often credited as the aide who has the best understanding of Mr. Biden's voice and of the president's interest in constantly returning to his humble roots. Is the guy who helped shape his 2020 campaign message, which was. David, that was, that David, was great. No, it's not done. David oh. Axelrod, Mr. Uh, Mr. Obama's chief strategist, praised Mr. Donilon's talent, calling him mm. the keeper of the narrative mm. when Mr. What Biden elevated to a senior advisory role. This he's, is the narrative that has 60% of people saying he's accomplished little or nothing? He's the keeper of that. Wow. He is the keeper of the narrative of, uh, I, you can't blame me for Afghanistan. He, uh, or you, you can't blame me. I, I didn't do anything wrong with the secret documents. Is, is he the keeper of the narrative that has produced members of his own party f- at the rate of 57% saying they don't want him to run again? That narrative? That's the narrative well, that's, that's getting this treatment narrative. in New York Times? That's, okay. that's the bad narrative. So this wh- is the good. This is oh. the true narrative from the New York Times. The true narrative. If this isn't Pravda. Mm. Oh, no. It's t- pathetic it's pathetic it's total puff piece does anybody does anybody still if you read the new york times i used to read the new york times and there were things in there you're like okay all right but there were also good yeah. stories in there do you did anybody in this audience did you actually read the new york times and think that you know i can tell the difference between the propaganda and, stuff, and now it's just pravda oh it's it's so hard to sort through now to find anything of value in that play, paper i mean it's just ridiculous I mean, honestly now. this is what you find when you're looking for value which is ridiculous nonsense that we can come on here and mock that's that's what i that's what that's i really, mine yes. out of that paper now yeah it, it's very it's very rare you find something really insightful occasionally they have it and what, that's what's really frustrating because they have so many resources and so many reporters and so much of an opportunity to actually do great journalism. They just yeah. choose not to do it almost all the time. Yeah. All right. Let me tell wait, you about wait, what? You, don't want to, you don't want to hear the preview of the speech tonight. Oh, I do. We want have to a hear quick the... preview here. I oh, think this yeah, is going to be pretty good. It. Yeah. Okay, good. It's a rehearsal. Yeah, it's a little bit of a rehearsal. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America. And and the re re the re calibration. Mm. Wow, that's <laughs> this has been really the good. President it's going to be good. It's going to be good. America. It's going to be good. He should have put one of those little hyphens or slashes there on the right. paper. Take a breath. <laughs> Take a breath. There's multiple syllables coming yeah. up. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Andrew Angieski, welcome to the program, Adam. How are you, sir? 
Great to be here, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. You are the CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com. And I think you would be one that would uh, agree with me. There is no State of the Union uh, in a few years if we don't fix what's going on in our schools with our kids. Well, absolutely. We have no idea. We need to start policing the content of what our children held captive in the classroom are being fed to them. So our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com, over the course of the last 30 days, we've uncovered quite a story of how the Newsoms, Governor Gavin Newsom and his wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, are using taxpayer dollars through her film and curriculum nonprofit to promote radical ideologies uh, in our public schools, up to 5,000 schools, how how they're personally profiting from this scheme and how they're using this scheme to promote the cult of personality for the governor, Gavin Newsom. So, so this film, and you're going to describe it here in a second, it has now been seen by 2.6 million students, 11,500 classrooms, 5,000 schools, and in all 50 states. Yeah, wow. look, uh, Glenn, yours is a family program. This content is deeply disturbing. I'm super uncomfortable talking about the details of it. Uh, the best way to describe it is... In two of these films, it is a pipeline to porn in the public schools. And for all the details, I invite your, the millions of people in your audience to come to OpenTheBooks.com, read our investigation. It's right there on the homepage, and click the links. You have to educate yourself on what your children in the classrooms are seeing, and viewer discretion is advised. Okay. Best way I can simply describe it, when you click the links in the study, is that this is triple X-rated content you're going to see women who are naked or nearly naked being slapped, handcuffed, brutalized, oh and still photos gosh. taken from pornography videos. And, Glenn, if that wasn't bad enough, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who produces these films, direct the, directs these films, she includes the website addresses to the porn sites where students, when they leave the classroom, oh it is a roadmap to them for further exploration. You know, where are, where's anyone that is standing up for women in the first place being slapped around S&M handcuffs? This is what we're showing not only to our children, but we're now endorsing it with public figures. And you'll get into this with public figures giving their their endorsement of this kind of behavior. Uh, and what does that do to our young men? What does that do to our our women? This is it's evil. <laughs> it's only looking for another word. Couldn't find one. It's evil. It's evil. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And that's why I say that parents, fathers, mothers, you need to police the content in your local classrooms. As you pointed out at the top here, that this content is in five thousand schools in all fifty states. 2.6 million of the students have reviewed this in 11,200 classrooms. And although we, you know, for months we reached out to the Representation Project, this is Jennifer Siebel Newsom's nonprofit, and we can't get a response. They will not respond to any of our questions, asking for their side of the story, asking for further context, their response to what we've uncovered in their films. But what they did do just a couple of days ago, the executive director of the nonprofit tweeted out, that although they're happy 
that their films have received greater scrutiny over the course of the last couple of weeks because of our exposure. She pointed out they're proud that they've been seen over 30 million times online and in the classroom. So look, this is a real problem, Glenn. Parents need to get engaged. We need to start policing the content in our classrooms. You know, how do you how do you do that? Because you really you stand up and then you stand up in the school board meetings, you stand up PTA and you go to the school. And I mean, I've had these conversations. What exactly are you showing as any of this stuff being done? And, you know, in a um, in a non-Christian school, but even in some Christian schools, I wonder if you're really getting the truth and you're. You know, they are many times not telling you the full story or the truth, or they define things differently than you do. And so how do you police it in the classroom? It's a three-step uh, three step process, Glenn. Number one is you have to ask the teachers uh, for copies of the curriculum as early as kindergarten. So kindergartners with Jennifer Siebel Newsom's uh, curricula, they're being taught that gender is fluid, it exists on a spectrum, and that you can mix and match different parts of boys and girls. And so there are as many genders as there are people in the world. I looked up that number. There's 8 billion people in the world. Uh, so there's, there's up to 8 billion genders that kindergartners through fifth graders are being taught that, you know, and, and it's just not true. There's two. So you have to start. You have to ask, number one, you have to ask the teachers for the curriculum. Number, number two, the second step, says who with what proof. File an official Freedom of Information Act sunshine request in your state with your school district to get an official copy of the curriculum. You know, if you see that the, that the teachings, you know, are what we're talking about or something similar, you have to bring it to public comment at a board meeting. You have to ask questions and hold the school board accountable. Oftentimes, the school board will not answer your question. So you have to network up to, up to 50 to 500 of your friends and family in the community into those school board meetings. That creates a media event. That shines the white-hot spotlight on what's going on in our schools. And eventually, you just got to win school board elections at the end of the day. Okay, so what is the name of this particular, these films? What are we looking for? So there's four films that Jennifer Siebel Newsom uh, has produced through her nonprofit called the Representation Project, and in our in our study we list out all four films. Uh, the worst one, which has the most pornography for fifteen year olds plus, uh, is called The Mask You Live In, and that's the one where I describe the sexually explicit curriculum that's appalling and profane. There's also films that are shown to eleven year olds, and these are not appropriate either. But they say that age-appropriate material includes, for example, an upside-down animated stripper with tape over her breasts. This is for middle school. What is the, um, I'm going to get to the money here in a minute, but what is the objective here, honestly? Because nobody thinks, nobody, nobody uh, actually believes this is healthy for little children to see. <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring up that point. Here's their justification. This number may be inflated, but it's the number they use. They say that 34% of all youth, when they go online, they see unwanted pornography. And so their solution to I this, believe that. Their solution to this is to feed 100% of the youth 
captive in the classroom, the pornography right there. We think it's appalling, disgusting. No governor of the 50 states should be involved in anything like this. And, you know, that's why it's up to parents to police that content. Good heavens. Okay, so now talk to me about the money. Well, Glenn, I'm from Illinois. It is the Super Bowl of corruption, as everybody understands. And in Illinois, we're used to our politicians double-dipping the public trough. Well, what we found here with the, with the Newsoms is they're not double-dipping. They're not triple-dipping. They're quadruple-dipping taxpayer dollars. So, first off, Governor Newsom engaged in a highly unethical practice of soliciting state vendors, up to 1,000 of them, for campaign cash. Those 1,000 state vendors gave his campaign fund $10.6 million. And while he was doing that, we found that his wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, was soliciting state vendors for donations to her nonprofit, this film and curriculum nonprofit, to cover oh the operating gosh. costs. So state vendors gave five- and six-figure donations to the nonprofit. Okay, so Jennifer Siebel Newsom has received in salary from the nonprofit over the last decade $1.5 million. She, uh, the nonprofit, which produces the films and curricula for schools at up to 5,000 schools, has received on license fees of licensing the films and curricula up to $1.5 million on license fees. That's taxpayer dollars. She gets a second bite at those taxpayer dollars with her for-profit company called Girls Entertainment, uh, Girls Club Entertainment. And Girls Club Entertainment contracts with her nonprofit. The nonprofit has paid her for-profit $1.6 million. So do there the is, can, can I tell you something? Million as somebody as somebody who runs a nonprofit, the red line with me is I can pay the nonprofit anything, but there is never a dime that should ever come back this direction for anything. If I want them, you know, to uh, if I want to lend my studio space. I can't charge that. I can, but I never charge them rent because I don't ever want the appearance of anything like that for her to charge her own nonprofit and make money off of those taxpayer dollars is grotesque. Grotesque. They've blurred all the lines between for-profit, non-for-profit, salary, license fees. Uh, And here's the fourth way they, they quadruple dip the taxpayer dollar. Two of the films star her husband, the governor, Gavin Newsom, and promote his call to personality, his political future. He's held out as the model public servant and the hero. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, there was something that, uh, let's see, he's betrayed his hero. Um, paired curricula with the films promote uh, prompt kids to discuss Newsom's comments and urge them to vote, gather friends to vote for similar politicians who support, quote, a care economy. Yeah, so look, somebody on the last election cycle, this is, you know, look, um, openthebooks.com, we follow the money, we're nonpartisan, we light up Republicans, like in the latest omnibus spending bill, you know, Republicans were some of the biggest earmarkers, we had a field day with them, showcasing them for participating and earmarking the currency of corruption in Congress. But look, when you follow the money right here on the Newsom's in California, uh, that's where we get this investigation. And somebody should have filed a, an, in, you know, an, an election campaign violation. You got a nonprofit charitable educational organization set up as a, under IRS section 501c3. And they're, they are drawing the line between 
uh, you know, cultivating activists out of the classroom and urging people to vote for politicians that espouse the same principles as Governor Gavin Newsom, who appears in the curriculum and the film. Unbelievable. Adam, thank you for everything you guys do. And I know you do take on all sides. And I thank you for that. I am so sick of one side calling the other, uh, you know, the kettle and black. And it's just it's it, it, we're not getting anywhere. The evil is everywhere. And we have to take and pay attention to our kids first. Thank you. Uh, by the way, please go to OpenTheBooks.com, OpenTheBooks.com, and read this story, and then track it down. It's in all 50 states, 11,500 schools. So make sure it's nothing, nothing like this is happening in your school. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. In a world where there is no trust of anything, even formerly trusted institutions, you really have to do your homework and watch people's, not just their words, but their actions. The actions always speak louder than their words. Um, uh, we have been working with the Heritage Foundation, uh, Wall Builders, uh, and, and I, uh, along with the Heartland Institute, all over the country on ESG. And uh, there was a... Uh, an understanding that was growing, uh, unfortunately, that that uh, the Heritage Foundation and and what we were trying to do were st- sort of uh, going in opposite directions on ESG legislation, and it was um, hurting the whole anti-ESG movement. Uh, and I got Kevin Roberts on the phone. He is the new president of the Heritage Foundation. He is uh, he was the chief executive officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is why I initially was like, OK, th- there's got to be a misunderstanding here. Let's get him on the phone. And what could have been real contentious uh, uh, conversations happened between a group of people really led by uh, Kevin, uh, who believe in the Bill of Rights and want to do the right thing and understand we all can't do the same thing or we all need each other to cover up or to cover all of the bases and things like uh, ESG. So I just wanted to thank Kevin uh, for his um, his hard work and his time that he has spent to really understand um, what is going on on the uh, lowest of levels um, and being able to help and then support uh, what he believes in. Kevin, welcome to the program. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for, for your kindness in that comment and also in the conversations we've had about this this issue of, of confronting ESG. And, and what I've learned from leading a couple of schools and certainly in policy work, always wanting to work in coalitions with friends like you who also want to sustain the Bill of Rights, yeah. is that when you encounter those those potential tensions to, to stop, have a private conversation if possible, which is what you initiated, and realize, oh gosh, this, this is how we can make an adjustment to make sure that friends remain friends, but most importantly, as you and, and our friends at Wall Builders would, would say too, to go stop the problem, the scourge yeah. of ESG. So m- most of all, heartfelt from all of us at Heritage for everything you're doing to lead that effort. Well, thank you. Um, I will tell you that you are doing something now uh, that I talked about last week at Heritage 
that I'm really excited about. And some people might roll their eyes and go, geez, is this another white paper or is this a bunch of, you know, the rhinos getting together and developing policy? What excited me is, A, I know you, um, and B, uh, uh, I am seeing for the first time from anybody on the right with some with some decent leverage um, a a willingness to develop a very strategic plan for whoever the next conservative president is. Um, and and this is something the the Democrats do all the time. They have everything written before they even get into office. They have a, a strong plan and that's why they can hit the ground running. You guys are doing that now, right? Well, we are, and, and I'll just say, not, not that I deserve the, the credit for this. I was just the, the initiator of it. Some really smart people came, came around to it. But to your point about the, the skepticism that people in your audience, a lot of friends of mine, family members of mine, I, I know them well, I am one, would have about a, a D.C. headquartered organization heading up this effort. I get it. And in fact, one of the reasons I took the job at Heritage, in spite of the fact that I wanted to stay in Texas, is because I wanted to correct that. And the reason is Heritage has so much credibility, so many resources, frankly, and and we're so connected to the everyday American. You know, we're supported by several hundred thousand people each year outside D.C. We are decidedly not of D.C., all of that to say. The most important thing that we could be doing for the republic right now at Heritage is convening a wide group of people across the conservative movement, across the country, this is, there's not a rhino involved in this effort, to create what I might say is an administration in waiting. And to put it succinctly, Glenn, this is the set of policies that need to be initiated. These are not only finding the people to go into key positions, and by that, I don't mean a few hundred at the secretary or cabinet secretary level, but several thousand who can populate the administration, but also the playbook that will not just be for the first hundred days, but we're going, uh, this is not an exaggeration, my friend, we're going minute by minute. The president, whoever he or she is, takes the oath of office, scurries back to the White House, and minute by minute, these are the executive orders to roll back the damage of the Biden regime. Okay, so we know that we can't, that's one of the things that happens at the last gasps of a republic, historically speaking, is it has wild swings back and forth from the right to the left, from the right to the left, and it's all edicts. Um, and that uh, a republic can't last uh, very long with that and have credibility. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that this also includes... Uh, a bunch of people like uh, let me let me throw Bain Capital out there. The kind of people that come in to turn a company around, but end up just you know firing almost everybody uh, and then selling it off for parts. Are we? Is there a plan to shut these administrative uh, behemoths down? Absolutely. There's not only a plan to do that. But that's really the core of the plan, because if we're, I'll just give you an example. In a couple of months, as, as part of this effort, which we call Project 2025, Heritage and the 50 other conservative organizations, none of them swampy, who've been working on this, nearly 400 policy experts, none of them swampy, we're going <laughs> to issue the book of policies that the, the administration needs to issue. The point to your question, Glenn, is that all of that is immaterial, 
if we don't first and foremost do what you were just describing, which is in the and even before the first minutes of power, preparing for this during the transition, identify those those clowns who need to be thrown out, but to replace them every single one of them, with men and women who are ready to take the country back. You see, that's the missed opportunity in the first months of the Trump administration. And I don't, I don't mean that as a yeah. gratuitous criticism of the former president, whose, whose inclinations were heroic. It's just that D.C. inertia overtook Correct. that particular phase. And so this is the solution to it. Uh, I, you know, the people I can name are people at Heritage, like Paul Ray, who is the anti-regulatory czar under Trump, did a heroic job. Paul is is vital to this minute-by-minute playbook of getting rid of the people who, frankly, are abrogating our freedoms. So let me re-ask, uh, Kevin, just to, uh, to, to clarify. I'm talking about things like shutting down the Department of Education. Yes. It, are you guys talking about those kinds of things? Oh, we're, we're not just talking about it. We have the plan. In fact, literally sitting on my desk is the draft of, of that plan. And I'll be doing reading through that today. And so let me be really, really blunt. We will eliminate the Department of Education piece by piece, block by block. It has to be part of the next administration in the first term. We also, as I know is a big interest of yours, going to upend the Department of Justice. And our plan for the Federal Bureau of Investigation is to select all, delete, and start from scratch. Wow. That gives you a sense of of the vigor of this plan. So is this going to be something that will be... Um, uh, able to be adopted and and talked about and given to people so they can say the, hold the president whoever it's going to be accountable and say we want you to do this if you win. Absolutely. In fact, Glenn, historically, what Heritage and the conservative movement have done is issue this plan sometime after election day. <laughs> Yeah. Which, which is, which I mean, it, it was better than nothing. But right. we're we're two years ahead, and so the the very reason that we're issuing this this plan or parts of the plan in April of this year is precisely so that two things can happen. Number one, Americans, everyday Americans, can be part of this and talking about it, asking people who want to be their elected officials about it. But secondly, to the heart of your question, when we start having debates among the Republican presidential aspirants. They're talking about that plan. It, the plan becomes the very reason that we, as, as Republicans, will nominate someone. You hold your uh, Ph.D. in American history from University of Texas. I think you have uh, master's at Virginia Tech, bachelor's of history, University of Louisiana. So you know history. I, I do. Where, I know early American history in particular. Where are we in the cycle of history? Uh, we are a couple of chapters away from writing the epilogue of the American Republic. And I'm not willing, if in fact we have to write that epilogue in our lifetimes, to go down without a fight. Without a fight. <clears throat> and instead, because of my faith, I'm cautiously optimistic that if men and women of faith in, in God, in the American Republic, are willing to fight, we're actually going to write several chapters in the next couple of decades before we have to write the epilogue. That's what the plan is about. In that, you hear, Glenn, 
my cautious optimism, but also my realism that having studied history and the history of republics and knowing that, as you said, we're in this swinging of the pendulum from left to right, the time is finite. And I am not willing to leave anything on the field for my kids, Good for you. if we were to have grandkids, but most of all, for the men and women alive this day who've sacrificed so much for you and me to be able to do what we do. Uh, we're talking to Kevin Roberts. Uh, he is he was named the president of the Heritage Foundation in 2021, uh, and he is looking for a new heritage. Take all the best things from the Heritage Foundation and, and conserve them and get rid of all the worst things about heritage. And uh, so far, I'm really impressed by what you do and how you um uh just how you are behaving as uh, as somebody in charge of something like this um let me ask you one more question i'm doing a lot on ai this week i have a special on ai tomorrow ai we are in this revolution right now i've been talking about it for 30 years and saying someday the day is going to come well the day is here now and it's going to start accelerating rapidly um and big tech and government in these public-private partnerships. How are you thinking about AI and the public-private partnerships with big tech? Well, AI scares the daylight out of me. I mean, color me a conservative or even a troglodyte, but the the point is there's got to be a policy response. And so probably the first thing that, that, that I initiated at Heritage that surprised some people, including some friends on the right, was saying, that big tech is an enemy of the people. And in in particular, big tech, in collusion with big government, are working against the American people. And so, you know, what Heritage does is not just talk about things, but actually do them. We've been working very closely with the House Republicans and a few Senate Republicans on shattering that. There has to be a, a reckoning among conservatives in Congress, Glenn, about the threats posed, not just by big tech, but in particular, this AI effort and I'm really grateful because the, the best pressure is the pressure that comes from the outside, mm-hmm. that you're spending so much time and your own credibility fighting against that as well. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Um, let us know how we can uh, help. And again, thank you for everything the Heritage Foundation is doing. Uh, you're, you're great partners. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Na, 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 na.